0: good afternoon everyone thank you for joining us today my name is tamia booker and i'm the events manager for campus progress launched in 2005 campus progress at the youth outreach division of the center for american progress through programs in activism journalism and events we work to help young people make their voices heard on issues that matter and to empower new generations of progressive leaders the issues of rankings and the public availability of information from college and universities are important to the young people in our network So we are pleased to present this program. I'd like to introduce our moderator, Cindy Brown, who is the Director of Education Policy here at the Center for American Progress. But before we do that, we're going to check out a clip with Paul Glastris from the Colbert Report from last night.
1: they do for the country?
2: Bad news
3: for the University of Industrial Waste. Please welcome Paul Glastris. Thank you. Mr. Glastris, thank you so much for joining us. Now, your magazine here is Washington Monthly. That's right. right. And you've got something in your, in your, in your, your current issue. Our third annual college rankings, what can colleges do for the country?
4: That's right. Other what college... does that mean? What, what, what is your standard for ranking colleges? Other college guides rank colleges based on SAT scores or whether they have great rock climbing walls. Mm-hmm. We say colleges should do for the public interest. What are the three things we want colleges to do? Uh, to...
3: Connect us with other people so that when we get out, we can get jobs. <laughs> uh,
4: uh, get us into a frat or yes. a sorority. <laughs> and uh, I forget the third. The three things are we want our colleges to be engines of social mobility so that the poor... Can get a better life. We want them to. We want colleges to create the research and the PhDs that can power the economy. And we want colleges to be uh, inculcate a, 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 an ethic of service uh, for young people. And those are the three things we measure.
3: Okay. Now, one thing. I, one thing I like about your list. I mean, you're, you guys are obviously with this. You're gunning for U.S. News and World Report. We are gunning on that one. What, what do report? you have against my, my friend? Mort Zuckerman runs that thing over there. Friend of the show. Apologized to me once. And um, <laughs> what what do you have against them?
4: Well, I love U.S. News. I used to work there, but they're College rankings are very silly. They they measure things like I said, SAT scores or percentages. Well,
3: sorry, that's 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 uh, that's uh, and I don't believe in in SATs, but uh, what that's just how you rank the smart kids,
4: right? Well, that is, but it's it's sort of like ranking restaurants by the amount you uh, restaurant pays for silverware. It's not it's not nothing, but it doesn't really tell you whether the quality of the education is good. How do you measure restaurants? Uh, <laughs> We, we we measure we measure we measure college is not restaurants, but it's okay, a good idea. You the said, next uh, you, you will throw me there and I got very hungry. Um, <laughs> um So what so what is
3: the best thing? Like what 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 is the best I think the best thing a college could do is to be shut would it be to shut down. But um <laughs> what there is already another way to rank colleges. It's called the Bowl Championship Series. Right. Okay. Because so you know, you know, football
4: makes people happy, and that's
3: good for our society and right. good for the world. Therefore. But what
4: our college guide does is it ranks based on whether a college is giving back to the country, and that's why a state a school like Texas A&M is ranked number one, and Dartmouth is at 75, which is, gets under the skin of a lot of the i You're island. talking about my alma mater, there. I am. I'm sorry about that, but uh, you, you. What you is Texas
3: a, A&M? Th- have that my alma mater does not. I mean, it's an agriculture and uh,
4: mining it re- it college. It recruits and graduates. <laughs> it, recru- it recruits and graduates kids from low-income families better. And it also cranks out more research. There is social mobility
3: in, 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 at Dartmouth. You can go in as a plutocrat and leave as an oligarch. They, um... <laughs> but, I I do like that Ivies aren't represented in your top 10.
4: No, no, the only Ivy that makes it is Cornell. The rest of them are ranked very low. Harvard is 27th. Hot damn. (laughs) (laughs) We found that the quality of an education Mm -hmm. has almost nothing to do with how much you spend. In fact, we have in this guide a guide to the 30 top community colleges which spend half as much as the average four-year school. And in our top 30 community colleges, we did this with Education Sector Think Tank in Washington, we found community colleges that give a better education than some of the top-tier schools in U.S. news. Yeah, how about it, how about it? Community colleges.
3: The issue is our college ranking guide, what can colleges do for the country? My guest is Paul Glasters. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: Very good, very excellent planning, uh, <laughs> Tamia, um, <laughs> and congratulations Thank on you. <laughs> you. your TV appearance. So I'm very pleased um, to be here today with my colleagues here at the Center who engage deeply every day with the nation's college students on the key issues facing this country, including get a, getting a solid and affordable college education. I focus most of my time here at the Center on education policies that relate to getting all students fully prepared for college in our K-12 system, especially low-income students and students of color who have historically been poorly served by the nation's public schools. But it does little good to reach preparation goals if the college landscape is so confusing that young people cannot easily figure out which institutions best meet their future educational and career needs and fit their pocketbooks with or without extra financial aid. So we're gonna look today at this issue. Uh, What do students and parents need to know about the great variety of colleges and universities and is that information available and easy to understand? As you will hear in a moment, there is disagreement about the answers to these questions. So let's get our discussion of college rankings and how they are put together underway. What's in them, what's left out of them, what we really need to know. I'm going to briefly introduce the panelists. You have their full bios, I think, in your packet. And then I'm going to turn it over to them. They will speak for about 10 minutes in the order I introduce them. And I will then give them a chance to respond to each other and ask them a few questions of my own. And then we'll open up this whole session to you for comments and questions. So let's begin. Kevin Carey is the research and policy manager of Education Sector, an independent education think tank located here in Washington, D.C. In addition to managing education sector policy work, he is a regular contributor to its blog, The Quick and the Ed, a name I think is just wonderful. Kenneth Terrell, since May 2007, has been the assistant managing editor for the education section of the US, of U.S. News and World Report. He is in charge of all coverage of higher education and K-12 news. He also oversees the educational portion of America's best colleges and America's best graduate schools. And finally, Paul Glastris, as you heard, is the editor-in-chief of the Washington Monthly and a former speechwriter for President Clinton. He also spent ten years as a correspondent and editor at U.S. News and World Report. All these guys are prolific writers and very knowledgeable about this college ranking issue. So, let's have a lively discussion. Start with Kevin. Uh,
5: thanks, Cindy, uh, and thanks for uh, Campus Progress and the Center on American Progress for for having me here. Um, The Colbert Report is a hard act to follow. I will say one thing as an Ohio State graduate, don't knock the BCS. It makes all kinds (laughs) of sense. Um, In your whole life, there's probably nothing that you'll ever spend more money on that you'll know less about than your college education. Uh, You buy a house. You can walk through the house. You know how much it's worth you can hire an inspector to find out all kinds of things about it Um, some things you maybe wish you didn't know but you find them out Um, you buy a car again you can pick up uh, consumer reports and find out pretty much everything you want to know about a car you go to college Uh, you pick a college what do you really know you can visit you can walk around and look at the buildings maybe it's they're nice to look at maybe they're not Um, you can find out if the sports team is any good i suppose You can get a general sense of its reputation, which everyone seems to agree on, but no one can quite tell you why. Uh, But when it comes down to the quality of education that you'll get, um, the quality of the teachers that you will be taught by, um, the odds that you'll be able to go on and get into a good graduate school, a good law school, a good medical school, whether five or 10 years from now, um, you'll be successful in your career, in your life, that you'll, the, the chances that you'll get what you, you want and need from your college, um, nobody knows. Uh, colleges can't tell you. Uh, none of the college guides that exist, uh, the popular college guides that exist right now, um, say much about those things. And this is a problem. And in fact, I would say that it's more of a problem than people realize. Uh, it's it, and a universally accepted truth that America has the greatest higher education system in the world. Um, and I, and, and, and a, broadly speaking, I wouldn't disagree with that. But I would say that our higher education system is not as good as we think it is, and it's not as good as we need it to be. Um, only less than two-thirds of all students who started as first-time, full-time freshmen at four-year colleges and universities earn a degree within six years. The four-year graduation rate's about 38% nationwide. Uh, the six-year graduation rate is about 63%. If you take community college students and enter them into the mix, only about half of all students who start in higher education um, earn a degree. Uh, the ones who graduate don't seem to be learning all that much. The American Institutes for Research uh, did a study uh, about a year ago that they published, um, where they, it was called the National Assessment of Adult Literacy. Uh, And I should be clear, this isn't literacy like can you read words on a piece of paper. They looked at stuff like can you compare two newspaper editorials and understand the differences in what the authors were trying to say. Less than 40% of people who had just finished, graduated with four-year degrees were scored as proficient on that test. So what we really have is a higher education system that's very, very good at the top. Um, It's really good for the top 5% of students and the top 5% of institutions for reasons that don't have a lot to do with education itself. Um, we have great research institutions, um, we ha- but we basically we don't have a higher education system that is as focused on education as it needs to be. And I think that that is, uh, there are a lot of reasons for that, but one of the reasons that it's not as focused on education as it needs to be is because nobody knows whether institutions are good at it. There's really no uh, sense of comparison, there's no way for consumers to make choices on that basis, and so therefore there's no incentives for institutions to compete with each other on the quality of the education they provide. And this is, I think, particularly uh, uh, a problem for what I always kind of term as the bottom 80% of students in higher education because really only about, you know, between 15 and 20% of students, depending on how you define it, go to a selective college, someplace where fewer, you know, less than half of all the students who apply get in. Um, and if you go to a selective college, you do know more about what you're getting back. You're getting back what, what Stephen Colbert just talked about. You're getting back uh, a, a really good social network um, you're getting back a degree that says, I was smart enough to get into this college. I mean, I can tell you, as an, as a, an employer and somebody who interviews for jobs, uh, I see a degree from a, an Ivy League college, and I say, this person's probably pretty bright. They got in. Uh, that's hard to do. Most people, most people aren't able to do that. But for the bottom 80%, the students who are going to non-selective colleges, they don't even have that. So if you were to go to, let's say you were to go to uh, Indiana State University, and I used to work in the state of Indiana, Um, and Indiana State University is a a university, a public university that was designed purposefully to serve first-generation college students. That's its mission. If you want to go to a research institution, you go to some place like Indiana University if you want to be an engineer, you go to Purdue. Um, Indiana State serves first-generation college students. If you are a student and you go to Indiana State, and let's say you get a great college education there, the the department is fantastic, Uh, the education is wonderful, you walk out with your degree, um, and you are a valuable, valuable person that somebody should wanna hire, you can't prove that to anybody because all they see is that Indiana State is a non-selective institution. It's a a bottom-tier institution according to US News and World Report. Because the way that we think about colleges right now doesn't really have anything to do with the quality of education they provide. Um, and you know, U.S. News is—I appreciate the folks from U.S. News coming here. They're—they're they're generally, I find them to be uh, very equanimous and good sports about these kind of things. Bashing U.S. News is a is a, a, a favored pastime in higher education. Um, they're blamed for all kinds of things that probably aren't their fault. Um, But there is an essential critique of the U.S. News and World Report rankings, and there's a a report that I wrote called College Rankings Reform, which I think is on the table. Um, You can grab a copy on your way out. But what it really, what it basically shows, I think, is that if you look at all of the measures that go into the U.S. News and World Report rankings, um, they basically come down to three things. How wealthy is the institution? How selective is it? And how famous is it? 95% of all the rankings are either direct measures of those three things or uh, essentially measures that are derivative of those three things. And so it's not surprising what institutions do. They try to become more wealthy, they try to become more famous, they try to become more selective. You know, I I remember uh, just uh, maybe a year or so ago, uh, there was an announcement that Stephen Joel Trachtenberg, Dr. Trachtenberg, the head of George Washington University here in Washington DC, was going to be leaving, retiring. And they sort of summed up his career. Um, And he was universally seen by everybody as a very, very good college president. Why? The endowment's a lot bigger. uh, The basketball team's doing really well. Uh, The university's attracted a lot of first-name scholars. Um, A lot more students are applying than used to. Admission rates are down, and the median SAT score is a lot higher. Let me tell you something. If you can do all those things, you can make a lot of money and be very successful and famous in higher education administration. That's pretty much the entire list of things that university presidents are expected to accomplish. Yet none of those things have anything to do with the quality of education that students receive at George Washington. I assume it's probably pretty good. I don't know, I never went there. Um, But none of those things necessarily mean that you're getting a high quality education. And these so you basically we have a value system in higher education that doesn't value education enough. We have rankings that don't value education enough. It's no surprise that institutions do what they do, which is care about things like raising money, being more selective, keeping students out as opposed to finding ways to bring students in. Um, focusing on scholarship focusing on their reputation and not really focusing on the quality of education and i think the the consequences of that are what i talked about not enough students are graduating and the students who are graduating are not learning enough now Um, Is this a a problem we can solve? I think it is. And I think the way we can solve it is by gathering more information about the things that matter, about the quality of education that's going on and about the outcomes that come out when students are finished. And the the good news is that there are ways to do this. And we talk about this in the report also, that there are a host of new measures out there um, that have been developed in just the last five years or so that you really can use to Start to get a handle on whether or not uh, the quality of the education. There are things like the National Survey of Student Engagement, which is given in hundreds of universities across the country. Um, it's also given in community colleges. Uh, Paul mentioned the you know America's Best Community Colleges. There's a Community College Survey of Student Engagement that we use to create this rankings list. There are things like the Collegiate Learning Assessment, which is a test of critical thinking skills and communications ability that's now being piloted. You know again in several hundred universities. Um, We can track students into the workforce now on a very systematic basis, find out what kind of jobs they're getting, how much money they're making. Um, There are better student surveys we can use to get at some of the non-vocational things that are nonetheless important about higher education. We can look at whether or not uh, they do certain things that we know to be good practice in higher education. Is there a senior capstone experience? Does the college provide a way for you to combine all of the the subject matter knowledge and the discipline knowledge that you you get in your major with these broader, more generalized skills of critical thinking and analytic reasoning? We can look at all those things, um, and if we did that, I think we could create a different and better ranking system that would provide a different and better set of incentives for institutions. Why aren't we doing that right now? Um, there are two reasons. One, a lot of this data is new. Some of it is experimental. Nobody thinks that we have all the information we need. But more importantly, a lot of the data that we have, the colleges and universities will not let anybody see. Essentially, if you have a new way of providing information about education quality in, um, and you want universities to participate, the bargain is they will participate as long as they control the information. So. National Survey of Student Engagement, again, given at hundreds and hundreds of universities. Can you get a list of how they all do? You cannot, because the universe, it is up to the universities themselves as to whether or not they release that information. Well, so some of them come out and say, our NESI, that's what they call it, NSSE. Our Nessie scores are really good. Okay, how does that compare to everybody else? Well, the ones whose Nessie scores aren't so good, they don't tell anybody. Why would they want to? In fact, and I should say this, um, to U.S. News' credit, if you want to find information from the National Sur- Sur- Survey of Student Engagement, there is no better source of that information than the U.S. News and World Report website. They try to gather the information, and, and, and one thing that I will say, uh, uh, in defense of U.S. News, I suppose, um, is that while they are, they are they are often criticized for by me and other people, for creating rankings that are based on the wrong things, it's not as if there's data out there about the right things that they refuse to use. There are no national sets of information, um, with a few exceptions, and I think Paul and, and, and the Washington Monthly have done a good job of kind of corralling those things. Um, But but when it comes to education quality, even the Washington Monthly Rankings that Paul was talking about, which really focus on service, social mobility, and and research output, those things aren't about the core issues of quality education either. And it's, it's not because Paul doesn't care about those things. It's because you can't get the data. You can't get the data because universities either don't participate in these measures or if they participate, they won't release it. Um, So, I I really think we need an enhanced federal policy um, focused on asking more in terms of transparency and information disclosure from universities, basically as a quid pro quo for participating in federal aid programs. Um, Universities get a great deal of money from the federal government in terms of tax preferences, indirectly through student aid, through research. Um, The federal government shouldn't be in the business of telling universities how to do their jobs. Nobody wants a No Child Left Behind Act for higher education. Um, but I think it is fair to ask whether or not um, universities are doing their jobs well, whether or not they're succeeding. You decide how you want to educate your students. We want to know whether you're succeeding in the end. Um, I think if we had that, I think if we were to have more, more data out there and more information, we really could have uh, better ranking systems and something that would result in a different and better set of incentives on behalf of students. So, uh, thanks again for having me, and uh, I look forward to hearing from my, my colleagues here.
2: Likewise. All right, Kenneth.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for having me here today. I definitely appreciate the chance to talk about what we do at U.S. News and World Report. And I'll keep my remarks pretty brief because I'm really looking forward to having the discussion with you and having uh, your feedback or getting your feedback on what you think our rankings could be doing differently and your overall impressions. So, I want to go back to something Kevin said at the beginning of his speech which was really the key point to why we do what we do that a college education is probably the biggest investment you'll ever make in your life and you really don't know what you're getting for it so when we put our ranking together what we try to do is we try to gather up as much data as we can to at least give you some sort of tool to make that decision Uh, as he said you know certainly the in terms of the educational quality and what your actual classroom experience is going to be there's very there's not a whole lot of data that you can actually find that's comparable from institution to institution Uh, he mentioned the Nessie which as he said you know US News and World Report is one of the biggest collectors of that because you know we would love to give you that information but the key thing is uh, (laughs) we really just want to give you the best judgment or the best tools that you can to make the decision so essentially How our process works is um, one of the key things, one of the key decisions that we made when we pulled our rankings together were we wanted to include as many universities as possible. We look at over more than 1,400 different schools and in different categories. And the reason, you know, we could have said, hey, you know, we can all pretty much guess what the top 100 universities are going to be. Let's just look at them and get as much data as we possibly can about them. But what we decided to do instead was actually get as many universities on the table as possible because we know that we have readers all over the nation and we know that people are making decisions based on a number of different things so let's give them as much information as we possibly can on that so once we put that universe of more than 1400 schools we used uh there's a group called the carnegie foundation which basically sets um, classifies different universities and colleges as being a specific type of institution so we used their standards and we broke this universe of 1,400 schools into national universities, liberal arts colleges, um, baccalaureate colleges, and master's colleges, or, uh, yeah, master's colleges uh, by region. So once we split them into that, those different groups, basically what we did then is we said, okay, let's gather the data that's out there. You know, we'll get the SAT scores, we'll get, you know, what their acceptance rates are, we'll get you know what percentage of their students are in the top 10% of their graduating class, and we'll also get the information on you know how big is the average class size, what are their faculty salaries, and you know we take a lot of criticism that oh when you're getting the SAT scores, you're just looking for you know the schools that just get kids with the top scores. Well, you know we do have to infer from that that. If this is a school that's attracting the best students it must be doing something right if there are bright kids in the classrooms that's going to help everyone learn more Uh, the same thing we get concerned we've taken criticisms over oh well you know faculty salary is just a matter of wealth well you know i think most professors if they can go to a school that's going to if they're going to work at a school that's going to pay them more that's where they're going to go so we use that to sort of infer that they're you know they're attracting the best faculty Um, and again these are the measures that are out there so these are what we have to use Um, so we gather variables in that category of about 15 different categories and compile that data so that's the basic part of our rankings that's a 75 percent is all based on that statistical data then we have another 25 percent of a school's individual ranking score that comes from an exclusive survey that US News and World Report does where we send out a survey to The administrators at uh, peer institutions so we have you know the liberal arts colleges are uh, ranking other liberal arts colleges the national universities are ranking other national universities so we send this form out to their administrators and say okay well going down this list you know based on what you know about these individual schools which ones do you think are doing well and which ones aren't Um, and if the administrators don't know anything about that school we do have a spot for them to say that they don't know so we're not asking them to judge schools that they aren't familiar with um, we've certainly taken a lot of criticism over that also. People say, oh, well, that's just a matter of how famous you are. And, but, you know, again, we're trying to get at what the um, quality of the experience is at the university. And we're trying to do it on a level that it makes it possible to compare 1,400 universities. So this is um, the best instrument that we've come up with to do it. And we've been doing this for 20 years. We refine the process every year. And, you know, it's, it's the best system that um, we can put together. And we believe it's the best system that's out there. So it's, that's a quick summary of uh, what we do and why we do it, and I'm, you know, I'm very eager to hear what the discussion will be.
2: <laughs> You've probably heard Paul's views before, but yes. <laughs> we're looking forward to him sharing them.
4: Well, I do want to thank uh, thank you guys, Cap and Campus Progress, my friend and colleague David Halperin and and Cindy and all for for doing this, and um, uh, Ken for showing up. Uh, 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 two 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 sort of areas I want to talk about. One is just the the, the U.S. News critique and the other sort of what we do that's very, very different. Um, uh, In our current college guide, there's a story by by Kevin about a college called Cascadia Community College, which is a community college built about eight years ago, 10 years ago. Nobody outside of Seattle, suburban Seattle where it is, nobody's ever heard of it. if you look at the data that Kevin amassed from this survey that he talked about, the uh, community college uh, s- uh, measure of student engagement, SISI, um, they asked questions of the students and the uh, and the faculty. The same questions, many in many cases, as are asked by four-year schools that that uh, do the NISI survey. And as Kevin said, we don't know all the results of the NISI surveys but we but social scientists have done research on the data and what we found under Kevin's uh, uh, Kevin's analysis is that if you compare Cascadia Community College this unknown two-year school to the four-year university the flagship University of Washington uh, which happens to be a branch of it right next door to Cascadia the kids who go to Cascadia and then go on to the University of Washington, get better grades, and have higher graduation rates than the kids who start at the University of Washington. Now, the University of Washington, it costs it spends twice as much on its students. They have higher SAT scores. There are one of the top 50 U.S. news schools. But by the measures that we have on hand, and they're pretty good, Cascadia s- students who go to Cascadia. Have a more rigorous education, have a better education experience, learn more, and do better than the the flagship four-year school. That is true of a lot of schools in this world, and I don't know how many folks here have had experience of more than one school. I went my freshman year to University of Missouri at a time when it was a an okay state university, Um, and then I transferred to Northwestern and got my degree there. So I had some experience, and I found that the big difference was the student body at University of Missouri was kind of like my high school. Kids were not serious about their education so much where at Northwestern they were all very serious or mostly very serious, but the quality of the education that I got from the teachers in the classroom wasn't that much different. And you can find great educations all over this country, in part because the market it's a buyer's market for academic talent there's a lot of brilliant academic talent out there and much of it very poorly deployed so you can get a great education at no-name schools and you can get a mediocre education at very good schools i mentioned the, the metaphor of, of restaurants on the colbert report how we've all had excellent food at cheap restaurants that nobody knows of and we've all had mediocre food at very, very expensive restaurants. It is the same with colleges. And it's all well and good to measure the things that we can measure as US News does. It literally does not tell you what you need to know about whether the college that you're going to or hope to go to is giving you a good education. And it is imperative for our democracy that we break that phony ranking system. Because I think if you were to do that, not only will you find that many of the top 20 or top 100 universities are doing a mediocre at best job of actually educating the students whose parents are forking out this money but that there are there are great departments and great colleges all over this country that deserve to be in the top 100 and you might have not a top 100 but a top 500 and then the people that go to these schools are going to have a degree that tells employers yes this person got a great education, and is worth being, it was worth hiring. And, it, and, and nothing would be more democratizing in higher education than that. Um, so I, I applaud U.S. News for, for recognizing that we need these measures, um, and, I, and I, I hope they'll join me in, in uh, our campaign to get that information out. Now, Kevin mentioned that universities have this stuff in their file, filing cabinets, and they don't let it out. Um, the question is why and um, Ben Adler of Campus Progress has a wonderful piece in our college guide that uh, looks at the higher ed lobby and if you want to find the bad guy in all this it's the higher ed lobby which in in many cases is on the side of of righteousness but on in the case of getting information that the public needs out uh, acts like any other lobby and tries to protect the market position of its most important members, the Harvards and the, and the Yales and so forth. So um, the, to its credit, the Bush administration had a commission last year looking at higher education and, and came out in favor of the federal government doing more to extract this information to get universities to provide, for instance, the um, graduation information of specific students which then the federal government could match with uh, unemployment data that tracks individuals' careers and their incomes, so that if you're say a Hispanic uh, student in Illinois who wants to be an aeronautical engineer and wants to pick the right college that's going to get him a good, a well-paying job in his field, you can look. And the federal government has provided information which U.S. News or the Washington Monthly can put into tables and you can know what the best college is. Right now though that information is not forthcoming because the lobbyists have done a great job of crushing efforts to do that. The Bush administration was right to call for it and I believe Hillary Clinton now has a position on this calling for more information and good for her. Now on to to, um, what we do. We would love to have this information on, on on educational quality we'd put it in our in our um, in our mix of how we rate schools in a heartbeat it, it is arguably the most important thing that colleges do uh, is to educate the students but it's not the only thing we want colleges to do and if you look at the founding documents of most institutions of higher education they don't say in there to provide very good education so individual students can get ahead um, they talk about molding the moral character of a generation. They talk about the spread of knowledge and ingenuity to the broader public. They talk about um, a lot of uh, broader issues that, is, that gives them a right to demand, in most cases, a nonprofit status for their institution because they're supposed to serve the public interest. So we, all we did at the Washington Monthly was take colleges— at the word of their founding documents and said, all right, um, you all are recipients of billions of dollars in our money, uh, state money or federal money in the form of research grants and student aid. Um, How are you performing on the three areas where uh, it is generally assumed colleges are supposed to uh, perform for the public interest? Are you uh, doing a good job of recruiting and then graduating students from low-income families? Um, are you um, creating cutting-edge research and P- PhDs in both the sciences and the humanities? The 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 stuff that colleges produce that are are the are the raw material of America's uh, innovative economy and, and our greatness in the world. And three, do students go through your university and get a sense that they should give something back? And um, and so we measure the first by looking at the number of Pell Grants, the percentage of kids who are on Pell Grants, and then doing a calculation to see whether a, 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 a fair number of them graduate. On the second, research, we just count the PhDs and the, the research uh, dollars. And on the third, service, we count the percentage of kids who are in the Peace Corps, uh, who go on to Peace Corps, are in ROTSI or use their work-study money, as it was intended, by the way, uh, to do community service. Uh, Most universities, they uh, use their work-study money to hire you to pass out basketballs at the gym or sign people in the library. Um, There really actually is a community service mandate in the law. Um, There's one college, uh, I forget which one, um, to get around their community service mandate, they uh, let students become caddies on the university golf course. Um, So we take this stuff seriously. We take the mandate seriously and we've come up with a a ranking which um, has been wonderfully appreciated by the colleges that don't usually get ranked in these things and uh, very much resented by the colleges that uh, are usually at the top and um, I, I i urge you to take a look at our website to see where your college ranks in terms of uh, its public service but um, just to give you a sense of it uh, as i said on the colbert report uh, texas A&M this year is number one um, followed by ucla and uc berkeley Uh, south carolina state and penn state are also up there in the top 10 Um, and uh, i think uh, princeton is at 78th my alma mater uh, northwestern is at 55 so so um in terms of uh but the great thing about our list and I'll, i'll kind of end it there and i and just with one final swipe at my friends at u.s news um if colleges try to go to climb up the U.S. news rankings, what do they do? Well, they, um, they ding more applicants or they uh, get more uh, bigger phone banks to call their alumni to get them to give 20 bucks. Um, uh, that's how you, you can gain the system to get higher on the U.S. news rankings. I mean, there's other things you can do too, but, but those are a couple of them. To get higher on our rankings, what do you do? You, get, you urge more of your kids to go into public service. You recruit more kids of low incomes and graduate them, and you produce more PhDs. And uh, we would be delighted if more universities gamed the system and did that because we'd have a more prosperous and democratic uh, country. So, so um, I urge you to take, take a look at the, the rankings and see how you did.
2: Great, very interesting. Actually, I have a quick question for Paul, and then I have a more general question for all of our panelists. So when you're measuring service, it's more than just the Peace Corps and ROTC. I mean, you have Teach for America and a number of other service options, uh, going to work for nonprofits or something.
4: There are a lot of measures which we would like to include to get a better sense of, of, of that than, than we do. Um, we get a, the question a lot about Teach for America. And, and in some ways, the, the, the colleges that don't do well on our measures um, are rightly ticked because they do a lot of Teach, a lot of teach for America and, and uh, City Year and so forth. Right. Unfortunately, Teach for America and City Year only recruited a handful of colleges. Oh, I see. So if you include okay. them, it's, it's unfair to the schools where kids don't have a chance to do that. Um, ideally, what we'd like to do is measure broadly to get measures of what percentage of students at each university go on to become teachers right. or what percentage go on to be work for the federal government or work in the nonprofit sector. Alas, getting back to the problem of the high, higher ed lobby, that's precisely the information universities don't want to give out.
2: Great. Well, let, I want to explore the politics of change a little bit here because even Kevin took a shot at NCLB, which I spent a lot of my time on. but. <laughs> there is uh, w- while well uh, totally inappropriate for higher ed uh a lot of federal money goes into um higher education and uh what are the chances of moving to the uh a system where uh they're expected to be transparent uh transparency is a very important concept that's uh uh gained a lot of traction not only in education certainly in elementary and secondary education but a lot of other fields as well i mean Will we get there? And then, if we do, Kenneth, would U.S. News and World Report change how they uh, make an adjustment in their calculations?
5: Um, well, I think the uh, it, the political challenge at the federal level is tough. I mean, we've seen that over the last couple of years. Um, as Paul said, you have a Republican president who um, put a commission together that I, I think, uh, again, I think it was a good commission, and I think the recommendations were very solid. It was bipartisan. Um, And yet, uh, when push came to shove, and this was both before uh, the commission's recommendations and after, if you look over the last couple of years and what's gone on um, with the reauthorization of the Higher Education Act, um, there has been language deliberately inserted into these bills that essentially prohibit the U.S. Department of Education from gathering certain kinds of information and publishing it. Um, again, it's just the, you know, the irony of institutions that are in the business of knowledge creation that are where the whole point of them is to, uh, uh, think about information and educate people to essentially be, t- be taking an anti-disclosure, anti-transparency stance. Um, uh, I, it disturbs me. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's, you know, the, uh, uh, the downside for a lot of politicians is that they have, a, you know, a lot of folks that in their districts, in their states, telling them this is a bad idea. Not a lot of people are saying it's a good idea. The, they, they tend to, these arguments tend to, get ter- uh, tend to get framed in terms of student privacy. Um, if there are student groups out there, um, and I urge you to think twice about that argument. Um, I, I think that when institutions are arguing in favor of student privacy, they tend to really be arguing in favor of institutional privacy. Uh, they don't want people to know how well you're being served. So uh, the, federal, the federal thing is tough. However, that doesn't mean that this isn't the only way this could, this could happen. Um, just a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times Magazine, there was a good article uh, by James Traub um, about the collegiate learning assessment, which was one of the things that I mentioned including um, along with Nessie. And it was about the University of Charleston in West Virginia and how the University of Charleston is now voluntarily um, disclosing its collegiate learning assessment results because they're good. It's marketing itself to students, again, non-selective colleges, stu- you know, relatively small college, uh, like a lot of smaller colleges struggling with enrollment and finances. And so their solution, and it seems like only in these extreme circumstances do universities come to this place, they say, well, maybe, maybe what we should do is market ourselves that we do a good job educating students and that, they, and that the students that we take from the time they arrive to when they leave, made a lot of progress. When you judge institutions based on their SAT scores, you're basically judging them based on how smart their students were a year before they even got there. Um, Not anything about where they were when they left. Um, I think that is the future of higher education. Universities voluntarily choosing to market themselves based on how well they teach their students on objective measures that are comparable from one institution to another institution. There has been some, I, sh- I should say this, the, the the higher education establishment, the, the lobbyists, um, they're not all the same. And they some of them are doing better than others, um, particularly the associations of public universities. Um, the American Association of State Colleges and Universities, which I think is in this building or, or close by. Um, the land-grant institutions, um, they've been pretty good about coming forth and they are now in the process of trying to set up some systems whereby individual institutions can start to, again, voluntarily report this data. So what one hopes could happen is that that there at some point is a a tipping point effect. I know it's a cliche, um, where if enough institutions are out there disclosing this information and marketing themselves, the ones that have the data but won't release it will start to see negative effects. Students will start to say to them, well, everyone else is telling me this. Why won't you tell me? You know, why won't you tell me? If that happens, um, if enough institutions sort of come to this voluntarily, and the thing is, there are a lot more. And I always come back to this: there are a whole lot more students at a whole lot more colleges and universities in this country that would be better off under a different system. The U.S. News rankings—they are a zero-sum game. There are, you know, if you're competing for selectivity, there's a fixed number of students you can get. There are only so many students with high SAT scores. You know, the uh, the um, when you look at the reputational rankings in terms of, you know, those are based on a lot of, again, non-educational measures. There's only so much you can do with that. Uh, If, on the other hand, institutions were ranked based on these measures of quality and student outcomes, that's not a zero-sum game. You can get better at that without making somebody else worse at that. And for most institutions, it would actually give them a level playing field on which to compete. So they wouldn't have to go out and try to essentially be who they weren't meant to be. Um, So I think that's another way that we could get there.
6: One comment that I want to make in response to what you were saying is that you were talking a lot about how the U.S. News rankings drive institutional behavior for American colleges and universities. And that's something that certainly we're aware of, but that's not our intent. We do our rankings for our readers, for the prospective students and their families so that they can make a decision on where they want to go to school. Mm -hmm. Again, we realize that, you know, universities are going to try to do different things to improve in the rankings, but overall that doesn't tend to work very well for the schools that have tried it and again it's not driving it's not the reason that we do the rankings Uh, but on the positive side of what we've been doing since we've been doing this for 20 years we were really at the forefront of creating this accountability creating common sets of data and creating measurements that got us to the point that we're having the conversations that we're having today Uh, certainly you know our goal is to get the best information that we can get and present it to readers so we are certainly eager to get whatever information about educational quality that we can get but as you said you know it's it's universities are not providing it they're withholding it and you know we can't really force their hand for uh, because actually a lot of these you can get it from the public universities because they're expected to have that kind of accountability but for the private universities which make up a very large segment of higher education they can say well now you know we're, we don't want to give that out to you so uh, when we get better data, we'll, we'll be glad to use it. I mean, we're pushing for it, and we, as we've pushed for it for 20 years, but our rankings are based on the best information that is available now. Sam?
5: Although I would say, I mean, there are, I think there are choices that US News could make um, that would move it more in this direction. And so, like, a, a good example is graduation rates. Mm-hmm. Um, US News ranks institutions based on graduation rates in two ways one is just on the overall graduation rate, and the other is based on essentially a uh, a predicted versus actual graduation rate. And so what you do is, because all, all institutions do not and should not have the same graduation rate. Harvard graduates ninety percent, 98% of its students, City College of New York, uh, City University of New York, less than half. Um, I don't think anyone would think that an, a, an open admissions public urban university should have, or could have, a 98% graduation rate. And so what US News does is it basically, it predicts what your graduation rate ought to be based on your student SAT scores and class rank and that kind of thing. and Actually, the Paul's rankings do something similar to this. And then looks at the difference. And so if you were, uh, if, you're, if your graduation rate was 80%, but it should have been 85, you get minus 5. If your graduation rate is 55%, but it should have been 50, you get plus 5. And so it sort of takes into account these factors. The, the problem is that, is that, U.S. News has made a choice about how to weight those things. It only gives 5% weight to the predicted versus actual, which I think actually is a pretty good measure of quality. And I think 15% or 20% for the, for, so it gives 20%, much, 20% for the overall graduation rate, which is really just, I think, derivative of things, statistically speaking, like SAT scores and selectivity. So it really only tells you the kind of students you're bringing, you're bringing in, not what you're doing for those students. So U.S. News could give more weight to the predicted versus actual and less weight to the, I think that would be a step in the right direction.
6: It's certainly a consideration and uh, we modify our rankings every year. It's one of the reasons why we generally uh, discourage comparisons from colleges and universities how they did one year to the next. We don't want people to say, oh well, you know, our school moved up four points in the rankings because, well, we actually use a slightly different formula this year. So Certainly, um, we could modify the predicted graduation rate and move it uh, so that it's a bigger consideration than the overall graduation rate. But again, we're playing with a lot of different variables that have um, a lot of different meanings for our readers. Uh, I think one thing that we did that was very interesting and positive with our predicted graduation rate this year is we added in Pell Grants, because we wanted to make something, we wanted to, going to what you were saying about how there are differences in what you would expect Uh, a Harvard University to do versus um, University of D.C. You know, we added Pell Grants, which are basically an indicator of students who are coming from low-income backgrounds into that predicted graduation rate formula. So essentially what we were able to do was minimize some of the negative effect that happens when uh, you enroll lots of students who come from low-income backgrounds uh, they don't tend to graduate as quickly because a lot of times they have to drop out for financial reasons. So by adding Pell Grants into the formula, we were able to make some adjustments and help those universities that are enrolling uh, more students of that background, it, help them do better in their overall ranking position. Uh, we didn't see a whole lot of tremendous changes, but again, we're, every year we're modifying and we're trying to get the best accurate or most accurate uh, indicator that we can offer.
2: Uh- one last question for Paul and then we'll open it up to the audience so you know a little bit about politics I know that um, and uh, so what's the political roadmap to change is there is there something is there are there pressure points to get federal action or is the marketplace the answer um, the way uh, Kevin outlined
4: you know I, I Kevin's thought about about maybe sort of uh, a few rushing out with their data would put Competitive pressure on the rest to do so uh, makes some sense to me. Um, hadn't hadn't really thought it through. Um, it hasn't really happened with the NISI data. Um, I'd like to believe it. It, it would happen uh, with the other measure. Uh, I do, though, think that it's it's it it ought to be possible um, to do this. The 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 because the Bush administration has come out in favor of it you know you now have and and there are, there are a number of um uh there are a number of uh, Republicans who love nothing better than bashing east coast schools private schools who would would do this just for the spite of it uh god bless them um and um th- there are there are a lot of uh congressmen in areas that have Modest, you know, schools of modest means and and um, modest reputations, who might be persuaded that they would benefit from this. You know, um, in any in any uh, Washington uh, interest group, it's the power. It's the most well-heeled mi- minority of members who tend to make all the decisions. So if you have the National Federation of Independent Businesses. Um, it's the big companies, rather the, the, the sort of be, the, the two and three hundred million dollar companies that, that set the policy uh, for the, for the million dollar companies. And, and, um, so, and that's the case really with the higher ed lobby. Most universities and colleges would benefit from opening up this system and getting the data out. But they, are, they don't put in the dues for the, they don't pay the lobbyists salaries and, and tend not to have the clout within within the lobbies, so what you what you occasionally the you have a Spartacus like situation where the slaves rebel against the system and and um, so I, I I think that I think that could happen and I think it's interesting that that at least one candidate for president on the Democratic side Hillary Clinton uh, seems to get this so you now have some bipartisan buy-in on this and um, even somebody like Ted Kennedy who has the most uh, colleges of higher education, institutes of higher education, and th- some of the most recalcitrant in his state, has been very good on occasion at taking on the higher ed lobby, and he is he's he's still the lion. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's impossible to in the next few years, um, if there if you know enough people write about it, enough people care about it, that we could see some movement.
2: Terrific. So let's, uh, I want to open it up to your questions and comments. Um, I think we might have a microphone here. Um, just turn it, this guy here in the. And please say who you are and where are you from.
4: Hi, Bob Davidson. I'm with the Corporation for National and Community Service. Uh, my question
6: is, your um, US News Report um, um, rankings Could you publish the uh, report with and without the reputational uh, feature? And would would that be, would the without the reputational survey be of value? And I can understand having both, but would it be valuable to have both rankings? You know, that's uh, an interesting question. Uh, Certainly we could do the rankings without the reputational survey. I think we would make an editorial decision not to do that just because again the that particular component is the one element where you can actually try to account for you know the sort of unmeasurable things that are happening happening on a particular campus so you know if a school is really taking innovative directions in biological sciences well there's nowhere in the other in the statistical data that we have where that can be accounted for whereas you know it it could not that we're necessarily asking that question in the reputation survey but that's a spot where you know it could conceivably come into play so you know I think we we do have we believe in the reputational survey we think that it it accounts for a lot of again the unmeasurable characteristics of of a college campus Um, but you know if I think if you lose that component you you're just getting numbers which I mean we're still one of the most comprehensive places that you can get that but uh, it's it's not exactly what, it's not giving you the sort of comparison that our, our readers are looking for, I think, so.
7: Um, my name's Jenny, I'm an intern at Campus Progress. Um, I think that one of the things that I would like to hear maybe any of you comment on is the issue of um, students who don't have the resources in their um, primary education in like their elementary school and in their high school to have a higher SAT score or to get really good grades in high school. Um, People who come from lower income neighborhoods might go to a really horribly funded public school and don't have teachers that encourage them to try a little bit harder, don't have the access to an SAT prep course. Um, And I think that that really can affect um, the view that we have on those students in terms of their intellectual abilities. Um, And I think that I'd like to see in college rankings um, some consideration for how well schools do at bringing in those students who have some more potential but maybe didn't have the resources um, to begin with does that make sense? Um.
5: yeah I think I mean this kind of gets back to the the core of the issue really because the way our value system in higher education is created right now um, first of all it's a pyramid where where resources uh, always, in res- resources, Institutional resources and student resources always go together, so the best and the brightest students who usually tend to also be the wealthiest students go to the uh, most resource-intensive institutions that have you know, billion-dollar endowments and, and small class sizes and all the rest of it. Um, the students who have none of those things go to institutions that have none of those things, even though what we know from education research is that a rational policy would be exactly the opposite. Of that. Really, it's the students who didn't get a good high school preparation, maybe who are first generation students and therefore, by definition, don't have the family supports where they can say, I've been there, here's how to kind of, here's my advice about going through college, um, who have farther to come, um, who are m- much more likely to be uh, economically vulnerable in terms of the jobs that they're likely to go into. They're the ones who really need a high quality education. It matters much more for them than it does for the students who sort of. Have everything going for them from day one, um, and yet not only are we giving them colleges that have fewer resources, but we're not even giving them the ability, if they find a good college, to let anybody know about it. I mean, they're really the the problem with this this essentially status based system we have right now is that status is scarce by definition. You know, an elite college. I mean, the whole point of it is to be a college that not that many people can get into. So we're we're essentially creating a false sense of scarcity in higher education quality there are a lot more students out there getting a good education than the conventional rankings would like you to believe they're just not getting them at the places where we think they're we're getting them so and that's that's the pushback that's the resistance
2: lewis
8: Uh, Lewis sores i'm here at the center for american progress just one very short question then probably a little bit longer one so what's the evidence that anyone is using the u.s news and world report data to make a college decision? That's the first question. The second one is, you know, people come to markets for information. And um, yet when you hear most you know, parents talk about college, you hear them talk about cost, not about quality. You know, and certainly wealthy parents make their own arrangements to get that information. Um, so what exactly is the market failure? Is it recognized by folks like yourself, is it recognized by you know, uh, you know, parents who are making a combined ninety thousand dollars in income and are looking for a place to send their child? So, what exactly is the market of failure? Transparency is pretty broad.
5: Well, right now, cost and quality are essentially assumed to be the same thing in higher education, and I think that's the failure. They don't have to be. There's really there is no value proposition that I can see really in higher education. Um, it, so, for so here's the situation we're in now. Um, the U.S. News rankings probably at least a quarter or a third of them are either directly or or indirectly a function of of money. Ten percent of the rankings are based on spending per student. Uh, much more, in fact, you know, ten percent are based on spending per student. Only one and a half percent are based on the admissions rate, and so they're commonly seen as very much driven by selectivity. They're more driven by money than you think, because in addition to that ten percent, you've got um, stu- you've got more faculty salaries, lower class sizes, basically things that cost money to buy. Um, If an institution were to figure out how to be more efficient at what it does, uh, and believe me, there are plenty of ways that they could be more efficient if they wanted to. Uh, If it was, let's say they were able to cut their costs by 10%, keep 5% for themselves and pass 5% back along to their customers in terms of a 5% price cut, they would go down in the US news rankings. They would be seen as an inferior institution if we, in, until we change that, th- this is, I mean, and this is, by the way, a big driver of the cost problem in higher education. They're, based, they're often seen as sort of two completely different issues, and we have all these federal proposals, because most federal e- education policy is about aid in costs. And so we've seen Congress say, well, maybe we should like have price caps and, and identify institutions that are raising their prices. I think that's a bad idea, by the way. I don't think the federal government should be in the business of telling anyone what to charge people. Um, what we need is institutions to be able to come into the market and essentially make a value proposition to the customer, which they cannot do right now. So I think that's the failure. Um,
2: Right, I was gonna.
5: Oh, well, uh, let me, you know, it's people, sorry. uh, 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 Feel free. (laughs) uh, um, uh, uh, Briefly, because I'm interrupting. uh, what people sometimes say is, well, there's surveys say that, that institutions that most students don't care about U.S. news and so therefore U.S. news is not uh, as big a deal as people think it is. The institutions care about the rankings independent of student choices. The rankings are the de facto way of grading institutions. The president of Arizona State University has a clause in his contract that pays him, I think, a $25,000 bonus if they go up in the rankings. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with student choice. That's just about status and the way people see themselves.
6: Sure. Uh, There certainly have been lots of studies and research done on on whether or not people are reading the rankings or using the rankings in their decision. And basically, what we've heard most recently is that, you know, there's a very high readership for the rankings, um, and it attracts a very large audience, but when people are actually making their decisions, only, I'd say, 10-15% of students say they really take into consideration how highly ranked university is so they're aware of it and they're using it to inform their search but you know that that's not what they're making the basis of their decision on most of the time
2: Yeah, I just want to say I, I got a letter in the mail from the new president of my alma mater which will go unnamed um, but it's very service-oriented um, uh, liberal arts college <laughs> and knowing I was going to moderate this panel much to my dismay right there in the one and a half page letter on the first, second paragraph was about the, their ranking on U.S. News and World Report. So maybe I'll write a letter about the uh, Washington Monthly and the taking into account service.
0: <laughs> Hi. Uh, my name is Carolyn Henrich. I work with the University of California. And um, we do well on both rankings, by the way. But. Um, <laughs> You know, I think that what's been presented actually is kind of overly simplistic solutions to a pretty complex uh, problem set of issues. And I can't really, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I could go on all day, but I was thankful for the previous Question about the market, because Congress talks a lot about how higher education has to be more like a business. We have to be more efficient, which, by the way, we are in general, um, way more efficient now than we have been over time. Um, and you know, the issues of cost are, are very complex and can't be summarized so simply. But I would say overall, I mean, the mar- I'm, and I'm certainly not an apologist for U.S. News and World Report, but they're using multiple measures to um, provide information that then allows people in the marketplace to make decisions and um, kevin mentioned that you know they're not trying to go to get to no child left behind for higher ed i would actually argue in some ways they are and the commission has made you know the commission that was mentioned made uh, moves in that direction but going to a, a simple or even a choice of measures um, and just use the CLA as an example. What happens if your institution, your students could all pass the CLA before they start college? I mean, is that going to make any difference in the, in the, you know, is that going to make a difference in how that college is evaluated or assessed? I mean, but I just think overall the idea that there can be a simple solution that would apply to. The variety and scope of institutions across the country. Even the US News World Report, if you're talking about research and PhD, you're knocking out half, you know, a large portion of the institutions in this country. Um, and just to use your analogy about the meals at a restaurant, if you ate at that restaurant, with good food at a mediocre restaurant for four years, you might have a bad meal now and again. And same way with the um, excellent restaurant, you'd probably over time have you know a, a pretty good balance uh, in a positive sense. So I, I, I mean, I'm not really asking a question, but I just think that the um, trying to, a lot of what you said has been overly simplistic um, anecdotes about a very complex set of issues that's not really being addressed in my opinion. Some folks over on the side
9: hi I'm um, I'm an intern here at CAP f- with the education team and um, I'm a student still at the University of California Santa Barbara um, I just am listening to well specifically Paul Glastis um, I think even your report on education brings up a lot of controversies that I can see in the future um, when you talked about judging on um, public s- how, um, where students go after college, if they go into maybe a private sector, or, um, nonprofit, or whatever, um, I think that students that have the ability to go to something like a nonprofit or to the Peace Corps are students who don't have to pay back student loans, who um, are already financially advantaged. So I think that that already has flaws within itself. As far as the minority and Pell Grant students, their graduation rates, I think that has a lot to do with their K-12 education, their preparation before college and how they adjusted to their transformation into college. So I think judging judging a college based on the graduation rates of minority students is also skewed because it has a lot to do with their prior education rate and their preparation in time. Um, At the same time, I'm going to say that I also agree. I did not look at the um, U.S. rankings. I mean, I picked a college that was farther enough away from home and closest enough from the, like a close enough walk to the beach, you know. So, (laughs) I mean, you know, I, but in college now, you know, I do realize that the name of my college is important to future people who may hire me. So I would like to say that while maybe it wasn't important to me in selecting my college, it is important to, the, to my future, I don't know, yeah, employers. Um, and also, what I think, it, at least my experience, has been a really valuable um, source of finding out where I can get the best education, even within my own school is basically how well a professor can teach. And if you wanted to look into that, I mean, my source is Mm -hmm. ratemyprofessor.com. I mean, you know, that is, it's just students basically saying what they think of their teachers. And sometimes that is skewed because there is an easiness level, you know, so, but there is also a clarity level, and there is also an overall effectiveness level. And so I think that Mostly from my experience, um, student feedback on their own personal teachers is a good reflection on how good of an education you're going to get. Well,
2: why don't you comment on the first part of her question about service and income and graduation rates, and, and then this last piece of information, uh, data, and, and any of you about whether that might be an additional source?
4: Um, I think the young lady makes a very good point about if you were to measure uh, on nonprofit work, let's say, um, uh, uh, hopefully if we could get the broad array of data that we'd want, um, that might be offset by the fact that a lot of lower income students um, uh, would prefer government service or teaching to some higher uh, income students. So it ho- hopefully it would balance out. But in the end, our aim would be to show, you know, who's giving back. And if if, if it's skewed toward a little bit toward the affluent, well, it's skewed toward the affluent. And that that we just have to live with that. And, and hopefully we're, we're balancing that out through these other measures of, of Pell Grants and so forth. Um, uh, uh, on the issue of the Pell Grants, y- yes, an individual's background is going to help determine their success at a college. But remember, these colleges are all um, drawing from a wide variety of families. The only thing that is, is the same is that they are low income. And so presumably you're getting a, a pretty random uh, unless colleges are particularly going out and trying to find students who are poor but have strong educational backgrounds, which could be the case, um, that, it, that it is a fair assessment. And, and give you an example I'll try to keep it very brief. There's been a lot of studies of what universities can do to improve the graduation rates of uh, low-income and minority students and one of the things they found is you you bring them in for a three to six week prep period before the start of their freshman year and you uh give them some some uh real college lecturing experience and they get to know each other and one of the things that minority and poor students often don't do that more fluent students do is study as groups it's just when you go to a, a you know a really strong high school you learn that you need to work with others to get the good grades when you don't you don't so they teach them look you you know rely on your friends and you build anyway when students when schools do that they have very high graduation rates and 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 so it is it is possible for the practice of a university to to affect the graduation rates of their poor students
5: i would just i would just add that i mean you bring up an important point about the validity and and of some of these measures um and, and there are no there are no perfect measures of complicated things. Um, U.S. News tends to focus more on, mo- most of their measures are very precise. The, the median SAT score is what it is as long as the university doesn't lie about it. Um, you know, the class size, I mean, these are all things that you can count with a, a lot of precision. Um, they just, in my opinion, aren't really the right things to be to be measuring. Um, and what, there's a sort of a line of argument in this whole debate on the basically arguing against going in this direction, which says, well, we need to wait until all these various measures are good enough and good enough never comes. And so um, I think you have to make judgments about the level of imprecision you can tolerate in any kind of complicated measure of things. Um, and one way to get around that is to have multiple measures, You know, again, as U.S. news does. And so if you measure lots of different things, if you use... Uh, an essay and a collegiate learning assessment and a value added on your graduation rates and employment statistics and student surveys, some of that error starts to, to balance itself out. You get a more complete picture and some of the incentives start to balance each other out also, so if you're looking at, for example, education quality and graduation rates at the same time, you don't have incentives to, for example, lower your standards to get more students through because it would kinda, that would go against you on the education quality side of things. Um, but some of these measures are good. You know, the collegiate learning assessment is, it is a value added measure. So if you had a lot of students who came from uh, uh, bad high schools, they would be farther back. And therefore, if you made a lot of progress with them, you would score really well. Um, the- Is it to come
2: remedial or developmental programs in some way?
5: Um, it's a good question. I don't know if they exclude those students from the sample. When they, they sample, they, they they test a sample of students at the freshman level. Um, but I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, the, you know, the NESE and the Sesi, the Surveys of Student Engagement, I mean, these are very well-developed measures. They've been given to millions of students at hundreds of colleges. Um, the Cascadia Community College that Paul talked about, that's not an anecdote. I mean, there are, SESI was given to over 500 community colleges, basically half of all the community colleges in the country. And on the measure of active and collaborative learning, which research has shown to be the most important of them, Cascadia was first, and they did it twice, and they were first both times. And so it's not, it's not an anecdote, and it's not an accident. It is an institution that really distinguishes itself on a, a, a very well-developed, research-validated measure that means something.
4: I, I want to just kind of poke in here and, and say that, and, and I really encourage, encourage you to read Kevin's pieces, it's not as if it's a mystery about what it takes to teach kids in college, what actually leads to more learning. There have been several decades now of... Uh, study of precisely this and we have in, in, in sociology and education a, a a body of data that most experts think is valid about what works in the classroom and what doesn't and the the, the crime here is though we know what works ninety percent of colleges don't use it right ninety percent of colleges have one research professor standing up there professing to you, giving you the answers that he pulls out of his research in his head and you scribble it down and you go home and you re- read your notes and you read a book and then you come back and you spew it out and you promptly forget it three weeks later. Whereas we know that when students collaborate with each other to go find an answer rather than are given the answer and and have to put together demonstrations and papers and so forth, the, the information sticks in their brains and they get better not only at holding the information but at going out and getting information and processing it, which is what actually want colleges to teach if you want to be successful in the workplace. Um, We've known this for decades, but there is no pressure on universities to change the way they do things so that you get more of that good practice.
2: Okay, then we'll have one of your other authors. (laughs) Absolutely.
7: I'm an associate editor at campusprogress.org. And I just wanted to uh, ask a question, which I haven't really heard addressed very much so far, is uh, students of color. And um, I went to the University of Minnesota and they made a decision my senior year to close the general college, which is a stepping stone for students at this land grant university who maybe don't have as good of, uh, you know, ACT scores and students who maybe didn't rank as well in their high schools, Um, and they made a decision to close it because they wanted to become one of the top three research universities in the country. Um, and I heard that US News is coming out with a list of historically black colleges and community colleges I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know, why they have to be separate and you know, how um, Colleges can address race when they're talking about their student bodies as well Thank you. Uh, we
6: actually did our ranking of rankings of historically black colleges and universities um, Either a week or two ago. You can find it on our website at uh, usnews.com backslash uh, black colleges uh, we aren't doing any community college rankings for the immediate future though um, but the reason behind the black college rankings were that uh, we've always cons- we've always included them in our overall college rankings um, they've always participated and they've always done pretty well but we also were aware that uh, they were sort of disappearing into the middle of the ranking. So even though, you know, Howard was ranked uh, I think like 83 or something this year, which is a great ranking. There are hundreds of universities that would love to be there, but you know, if you're not if you're just looking at that first page, well you're not going to see Howard University. You have need to turn the page and look for it there. So we wanted to put a better spotlight on black colleges than they were getting overall in uh, our rankings packages over the years and also we again keeping in mind that we do this for the readers we know that we have readers who are interested in attending a black college and they want to know which schools are designated as such and how they compare to each other so we decided to go ahead and pull them out and do an exclusive ranking of, of just them compared to each other and again we uh, commissioned another survey that we just sent to the administrators at black colleges and said okay well compare you know how do you think the different black colleges rate against each other so I think the key point to take away from that is that again we are a journalism publication we're trying to serve our readers and give them information that helps them make these big decisions so we knew that there was um, an interest in a call for that you know every year when we did the regular best college rankings we would get letters from uh, alumni and faculty, and people who are interested in black colleges, and they say, well, where are they? It's like, well, you know, they're in there. We just realized that, you know, you probably can't see them. So we decided to uh, do that as a specific group um, for themselves this year.
4: And can I just say that uh, historically black
6: colleges do
4: uh, very well on our rankings, better than on U.S. (laughs) News's. And and I believe, Kevin, you'll maybe remember, the number one community college on our uh, survey is a uh, predominantly African American. Yeah, uh,
5: uh, I think it's Atlanta Technical College yeah. in Atlanta. It's a predominantly minority institution, and I, I would say also that you know the, what you just described—the decision to shut down the college—to be one of the top three research. I mean, that's an example of an institution making a decision that really has nothing to do with inducing students to apply there. It just—it's about its its sense of self and who it wants to be, um, and, and so I think it's the the, the U.S. News rankings. And, and again, I should say that. The U.S. News rankings did not, U.S. News did not invent this status hierarchy. They reify it, uh, and they kind of empiricize it, but it was there before, and and on some level that's why as much as higher education folks like to publicly complain about the rankings, they also want to move up on them because it it, it does fit very well with their own sense of what's important and what's not.
2: Okay, the, you then we'll go to Ben.
10: <laughs> yeah, my name is uh, Dilip Ahuja, I'm from Bangalore, I'm just visiting. Uh, I, uh, it seems to me that uh, the problem is, is, is not with having, or, or is not having better rankings, but any rankings. Uh, it's, uh, because if you do, uh, if Texas A&M, A&M is first now, then that will become more selective and it will start rejecting people and there is a problem with with having these rankings and if if i uh, can surmise why where the problem lies it's is by having weights is giving weights to the different variables and making the decision for people and having coming up with an overall ranking and so I, it would be better i think to have it, you know on each variable a different ranking and let people put weights that they want to come up with their preferred rankings before they allow <laughs> <laughs> actually
6: is a lot of uh, thought <laughs> and consideration into how to make the sort of thing that you're suggesting available on the web. And eventually, that is going to happen, um, where you can decide, every, you know, every prospective student can decide for themselves, well, you know, I want to go to a school that has, does really well in this category, so I'm going to make that the most important variable. I mean, that, that is going to happen right now no one has technologically pulled it off or gathered all the data to do it. But, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, an excellent solution.
4: Um, we, uh, we don't weight the, different, the three different factors differently. We give them equal weight. And if you go to our rankings, you'll see we break them out so that if you want to know what the number one service school is, you can find that. Or you want to know the number one uh, school on social mobility, you can find that. We give an overall score, but we also show it by, by each measure
2: all right well Ben have the last question and then we'll um but people the our speakers will be here if you want to raise your additional
1: questions is this on yeah Yeah. okay uh ben adler reporter for the politico um and i had a question for um the the gentleman from u.s news um two of the um, most important factors i think for a lot of students in their college educational experience is um the diversity of the students that they interact with um and what paul was talking about um, you know seminar style uh, of classes rather than large lectures um, and I've noticed that US rankings uh, the US News rankings try to get at those two factors by having a diversity percentage ranking um, category and one for um, percentage of classes under 20 students and 50 students um, but I went to a, a, an Ivy League University that ranks very highly uh, in US News and uh, on those categories as well as overall, and is terrible at both, um, because while it's 30% non-white, it's incredibly segregated. Um, and uh, your experience as a white student there might as well be that you went to a school that was overwhelmingly white. Um, similarly, it has a large number of small seminar classes that you can only get into after you fulfill certain uh, required entry-level courses that have 500 people. So. Um, Uh, I transferred to a small liberal arts college, which does not as well on U.S. News rankings, and had a much more diverse, better educational experience. And I was wondering, um, for those factors that really do measure educational quality much more than um, some of these inputs that you've been talking about, um, if if this issue has been raised and if U.S. News has any plans to try to adjust those categories to give a more realistic portrayal of a student's actual experience.
6: Certainly, those questions. questions have been raised, and when we keep them in mind, we actually, uh, in our guidebook that we do uh, every year, you know, we have tables set aside that look specifically at which universities do the best in terms of their diversity rankings. Um, we look. We have a table set aside just for uh, universities that have smaller, the smallest class sizes, or even the, uh, you know, particular capstone experiences like having to do a senior thesis or lots of uh, community service work and things like that. So we're certainly aware of that but again the challenge uh, as it is on our side is we want to keep for our overall main rankings we want to keep as many colleges and universities involved in that as we possibly can which means that we have to basically come up with a standardized set of data so in terms of of the main rankings of national universities or liberal arts colleges it's, it's very difficult to reflect that or bring those uh, qualitative experiences into those rankings just because they're not specific enough that you can gather it in a way that it applies for every one of those hundreds of universities. But we have it in mind and we certainly try to present that option on, on our website in our guidebook for people who are looking for that. Um, but in terms of putting that in the main ranking, it's, it's very difficult to do.
2: Well, let's thank the panelists for a very interesting conversation. And If you have additional questions, please come up and discuss them.